Good evening. Well, welcome to Wednesday evening chapel. This is the last chapel service for the winter term, which means the winter term is almost over. All in favor say aye. <clears throat> exactly right. Exactly right. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Ott is going to help us uh, consider how it is that we can. Because if you, f if you start, you want to finish, yes? Yes. yes. So we will finish the race and keep the faith. I think you know this song. I think. I have been surprised the last couple of weeks, but I think. It goes, over all the earth, you reign on high. Every mountain stream, every sunset sky. Okay, it's going to be like that. Okay, and how many people know this? This is what I was afraid of. Okay, so we have a little lesson. Is it okay if we take time for a lesson? Oh, no, not yet, because you don't, can't stand up and sing it, because you don't know it yet. You are working in our lives. You brought us to this place. But need your touch again. So let your power fall. And let your voice be heard. Come and change. Come and change your lives. Okay. Finishing the race. If you're going to finish the race, you better make sure you got the juice to start with, right? That's not the juice I was thinking of, but I guess it will work. Well, as, as you can, uh, as we're thinking of the theme, finishing the race, uh, you can see by my physique that I'm an avid athlete, right? <laughs> Amen. Uh, <laughs> I'm not, but one thing I know about athletes and I know about races is that it's, a race is not something that you just wake up some morning and decide you're going to do and you put on your jogging shorts. No, you have to go to Walmart and buy some jogging shorts and then you go to the track. There is extensive preparation that must be put in in order to have any kind of hope to make it in the race, let alone finish the race. Part of that preparation process includes making sure that you have the energy necessary for the effort that is going to take to finish the race. And I, I used to have a friend, well, I think he's still a friend, but I haven't seen him for a long time, who was a runner. And he shared with me what he goes through in the, the two days before the race. And uh, he, will, he will carb up in those two days to make sure that he has plenty of energy in reserve. And uh, I know that, that uh, I, I'm not a particular fan of Gatorade, 
But one of the ways that you can grab your energy for the race is get yourself an energy drink. Great stuff. I prefer Dr. Pepper. Diet. <laughs> Dr. Pepper. This theme, finish the race. It is what we all want, right? I don't know that there's anybody here tonight who would raise their hand and would say, I have no desire for that. I think we're here because we have all begun the race and we all want to finish well. Paul talks about the race in several scriptures. In Hebrews, in particular, he says, run with perseverance. The race marked out for you. What race is he talking about? It is the race that we have already joined. The, great, the race for Christ-likeness, for holiness, for godliness. The race that was exemplified by the saints in the Bible. The problem is that if we want to run to win, we need to enter the race with the resources that are necessary to accomplish that end. However, there are many people who don't understand where those resources come from. There are many people who do not necessarily believe that they are available, God has made them available to us. We need our Gatorade. However, most of us know that you can't always believe the claims that the makers of these products produce. And some of us are skeptical about the claims of the resources that have been made available for us. Tonight I want to help us to understand how we can be juiced for this journey. God has stated for us this promise. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole, pay attention, may your whole spirit, soul, and body, everything that we are, be kept blameless without any blame whatsoever at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ until the end of the race. It seems to me that if we're talking about being juiced for the journey, that covers it all. God has made a promise. We can enter the race with this confidence. It is possible for us to win.
It's not me against you. It is all of us against sin, and we can all win. Let's look at what the Scripture says about being juiced for the journey. First of all, we must understand where we begin the race. Genesis 1, 26 through 27 tells us about our creation. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And in this created state, God tells us that there in the garden, that there was this perfect fellowship between God and man. Tonight I want to use magnets to illustrate what God has provided for us. You know the basic principles of a magnet. You have one end that is one charge, positive, and you have another end of the magnet that is negatively charged, and those two charges do what? They attract each other, just like this. Together, attracting one another. In this magnet, we have God, positively charged. And then we have man, created in God's image to be in perfect fellowship, in perfect union with God, in perfect relationship to God. And so the two are perfectly attracted to one another at all times. And that is how God created us to be. And that was the original experience of man. That perfect union with God. However, it wasn't long. Excuse me, got to get up, caught up with myself. Man is created such that within him is the nature that always pulls him, her, toward God. Now, that situation, as we know, didn't last too long. Romans 7, 14 through 20, expresses to us the condition of fallen man. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. Notice the distinctions in the natures. Sold as a slave to sin, I do not understand what I do. For what I do, I do not do. For what I want, I do not do. But what I hate, to, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. God's will is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. 
Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Now, back to our illustration. We have God. God never changes. It doesn't matter what man does. God is always the same. Yesterday, today, forever. So what changes in the relationship? It is the nature of man that changes. And the Bible tells us that the essence of sin is that man desired to be God himself. And so he took upon himself the rights, the authority of God. He changed his charge. Well, what happens if you change the charge in a magnet? No matter what you try, it doesn't work. The Bible tells us that because of the fall, man faces two problems. One is expressed as sins in the plural. Acts of disobedience. Acts of rebellion. That is the essence of sin. This rebellion against the authority of God in our lives. And this desire to be a God unto ourselves. But acts are not the only problem that man faces. Romans chapter 7 tells us that the root of the acts of sin, plural is the reality of the nature of sin singular within our lives. The problem for Adam and Eve was not just they took, that they took of the fruit and by that act rebelled against God. The basic problem that was in doing that act, it changed the nature of their heart, their spirit, their very being. And because of that, it changed forever the relationship of man with God. And man, in seeking to be his own God, is set up in a relationship where everything within him no longer attracts to God, but repels against that relationship, that fellowship with God. Because as long as we want to be our own gods, as long as we want to do our own thing, we cannot have union, fellowship, relationship with God. The good part of that is that God did not leave us in that condition. But he provided a solution. First of all, he provided a solution for sins, plural. The acts of rebellion. Galatians 5.17 talks about the situation, the condition of those individuals 
who have experienced this work of God in their lives. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want to do. We understand that redemption is offered to us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And when you and I are willing to receive that sacrifice, to believe in the uh, ability of the work of Christ on the cross to, to get, uh, win for us the forgiveness for our sins, plural, our acts, and invite Jesus into our hearts as Lord, we become redeemed. Again, in this situation, God does not change. He is always the same. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. What is different in the equation? Man, believing in the redeeming act of Jesus, invites Jesus to forgive, to live in his heart as his Savior and his Lord restores that proper polarity into our lives. The Spirit comes and abides within us, and the Spirit is always surrendered to the will of God. And so once again, we have this situation where there is this attraction to God. It is restored within us, and yet there is still a problem. The nature of sin remains. And so we end up with this situation. As Galatian explains it, we have the Holy Spirit that attracts us to God, and yet we have the nature of sin that is always still rebelling against the will of God. And so we end up in this situation where we have the Holy Spirit attracting us, and yet the nature of sin is always an obstacle that stands against that attraction. And we have the sin nature within us that tends to, to move us to rebel against God, but we have the Holy Spirit within us that checks the sinful nature. And so we look to the left, we look to the right, and everywhere we see just checks. No open doors, no freedom. It seems as if we were always in a battle between these two attractions within us. Well, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like too, uh, too attractive a life for me. And I don't know too many people who can live in that circumstance with much peace for very long. So what does God do? He provides a second solution. The acts of sin, plural, are dealt with. 
but we still have sin singular. Philippians 3, 7 through 11. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or obedience to a set of rules, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Again, how do we illustrate this? Where do we begin? We begin with the part of the equation that never changes, and that is God. Forever and always the same, yesterday, today, and through the future. What does change? Man. The old nature, God tells us, is crucified by faith. Through an entire consecration to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Everything that has preceded, I count as rubbish. Everything is lost to me except for what? That I may know Jesus Christ. Becoming like him in what? His death. Dying to the old nature. Dying to that deep-seated rebellion within us. Dying to the desire within us to be our own God, to be in charge of our own lives, and coming to that point where we finally say, nothing of me and all of Christ. And so we find restored within us this ability to again be attracted to God. And yet, there is an issue that must be dealt with. The problem is that we still live in a fallen world. The problem is that we must still face the consequences of what has happened before. None of that will be completely restored until when? Jesus Christ returns and there is a new heaven and a new earth. And where I find that most people struggle with the doctrine of entire sanctification is in relationship to these consequences of the fall of man and the fallen nature of the world. 
as a consequence of the sin of Adam and Eve. Even though we are redeemed, even though we are entirely sanctified, the truth of the matter is we still have habits that are a consequence of the fall. And our life, apart from Christ, before we were saved and sanctified, we still have limitations of being human beings. We still live in an environment that is a reflection of the fall. And we still must live with the consequences of the choices we made while we were living in rebellion separated from God. What does this mean? Well, we've already noted God restores the attraction. The problem is what happens to a magnet when you cover it with a bunch of dirt? It's still pulling. But what happens to that attraction? The dirt becomes interference in that relationship. And we need to understand, as sanctified individuals, we still live in a world that has a lot of dirt and interferes in our relationship with God. We have habits. Habits of lifestyle. We don't eat properly. That can become a barrier to our relationship with God. We have mental habits. Patterns of thought that are not a complete reflection of Christ-likeness. Peter was an example of that. Even after he was saved, even after he was sanctified, he still bore prejudice against non-Jews. Limitations. We are still human beings. Saved and sanctified, but we are human beings. I'm a married. I want to be the best husband. I want to be a perfect husband to Marcia. But all you have to do is ask her. No, don't. Please. I want to love her completely, perfectly. But there are times when I have worked long hours, when life just bears down on me and I get exhausted and all she has to do is say, Hello, where have you been? And I'm off to the races on her. Does it mean I've lost my sanctification? No. My that hasn't changed my desire, my intent, one bit, to be a loving husband to her, to be completely Christ-like. But it's a part of my limitations of being a human being. Environment. There are limitations that are placed on us simply because of the laws of nature of this world. 
God tells us to go out and to minister to the world. The only problem is, He did not give me the ability to be every place all the time. So is it a sin? Have I lost my sanctification? If someone is hurting and dying for lack of food and water in Africa while I'm living in Colorado Springs? Does he want me to do something about that? Yes, he would love to have me do something about that. But he understands I am limited by my environment. There are cultural limitations. Many of them, we, we are a product in some ways of the culture in which we are raised. And many of those cultural issues are so much a part of us, we become unconscious of them. And we just live them out without thinking about them. And as a pastor, I would see the Lord bring people out of these godless cultures and save them gloriously. And yet, it would still break my heart as I saw them still reflecting the elements, some of the elements of that culture. Praise the Lord. He can in salvation and in sanctification. He can heal of some of those. And He does. But he doesn't heal of all of them. Choices. Some people who have made choices in relationship to drugs, alcohol, tobacco. Praise the Lord. I have seen people, the moment that they ask Jesus into their hearts... It's gone. Some, for whatever reason, God in His wisdom allows them, determines that they will continue to fight the consequences of those choices beyond their salvation and even beyond their sanctification. Does it mean that they are not sanctified? No. It just means we live in a world that will not experience the fulfillment of God's salvation until Jesus Christ comes again and there's a new heaven and a new earth. So is God's promise hollow? No. It's not. God promises us everything that we need to experience His full salvation in this world. But we need to understand it is not a salvation of perfection of action. Our greatest works of Christ-likeness will still fall tremendously short of the measure and the standard that Jesus Christ has set for us. Not a one of us will achieve complete 
perfection of Christ-likeness in any measure in this world. When measured against action. But all of us can experience a perfection of Christ-likeness in relationship to the intent of our heart. There is a word in the New Testament for sin. Multiple words for sin. One of them is rebellion. God assures us that He can eliminate sin, rebellion from our lives. But there is another word that is translated to fall short or to miss the mark. The intent of our hearts is always pulling us to God. And yet, we can be off the mark. We can fall short in our actions. And still, the greatest desire, the sole desire of our heart can be to be a reflection of Jesus Christ. Can we finish the race? Can we end this life completely and totally blameless? Looking God in the face and saying, I was a reflection, body, soul, and spirit of Jesus Christ. Yes. The only desire of my heart at all times was to be pleasing to you, to be obedient to Jesus Christ, even if the results did not measure up even closely to the standard that Jesus Christ set for us. Can we be fully juiced for the journey set before us? The promise of God is yes. We're going to sing a chorus in closing. I believe God's desire in response to this promise, His promise, of His Word is this. Those of us who haven't experienced this full salvation, God wants you to come and receive it tonight. Those of us who have experienced it but have had trouble understanding it, knowing that God has done a work in their heart and in the desires of their lives, and yet struggling with this environment in which we still live that is fallen. And out of that, you are experiencing a struggle in your own heart, a lack of peace. 
God wants you to come tonight and affirm the work he's already done in your heart so that you can know the peace that he desires you to have. Third, I believe that God wants each and every one of us to be an effective minister of this gospel. And if you have not yet found the ability to lead others into this experience, I believe God wants you to come. Commit yourself to this ministry and experience the empowering of His Holy Spirit to enable you to do just that.